IRC Wealth. Take control of your finances and embrace life without worrying about money. And welcome back to another episode of IRC Wealthcast. And this is Joe Shum, your host. And this is a special edition of IRC Wealthcast for a couple of reasons. One, this is going to be a two-part series, and it's focusing on the Gen X ers demographic and the challenges that the sandwich generation has. And two, it's special because of the two guests I have with me today, Wendy Hayes, founder of Mitchell Hayes, which is a CDFA and divorce, um, what would I call you now? Divorce? Divorce financial analyst. I should know this. Yes. And our newest edition, but you've heard her before here on IRC Wealthcast, our newest edition and certified financial planner, Michelle Thompson, formerly of Thompson Legacy Law and now with IRC Wealth. So excited to be yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So two of my favorite people. I'm going to throw this out here, and then let's kick this off, okay? The financial burdens on middle-aged caregivers, the so-called sandwich generation, are increasing, according to this survey. 15% of U.S. adults in their 40s and 50s provided financial support to both an aging parent and a child in 2012. That is up from 12% in 2005 and almost half, that's 47% of those currently raising or financially supporting a child have a parent 65 or older still living who may require additional support in the future. Holy cow. Huge. Yeah, there's the American dream for you, right? right? And and in addition to all that, 37% have either fully recovered or were not impacted by the Great Recession. So the remainder, almost two-thirds, have not recovered from the Great Recession in 2007, 2008. So now we've taken away your money. (laughs) <laughs> and we've asked you to pay for two generations. Two generations, yeah. the one in front and the one in back. Right. Yes. All right. Uh, thanks for coming. And uh, I'll leave it up to you now since this is just crazy. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. It's it complicated. is very complicated. Yeah. So that's the foundation for the conversation. And then the stories that both of you have really plays into various parts of just that opening statement. So uh, what I want to do here is I want to throw out who wants to go first as to how this directly relates to their own personal story. I would be more than happy to go first. Wendy, okay. My story started actually in 2005, thanks to Hurricane Katrina, who blew through New Orleans, where my mother was living, flooded her home. We had to move her out into a FEMA trailer where she lived wow. for a bit over a year. Those and, were nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, not really, but <laughs> she was very appreciative. Um, but it took over a year to get her moved back into her home. And I think that that was kind of the beginning of the end of my mother. She never quite bounced back from that experience. And I think that... I'm not a doctor or a medical person, but it certainly seems to have triggered some of her dementia, which was diagnosed in 2008. So, and financially, that was right, you know, at the tip of the iceberg of the big, you know, market burst. And what was so, to come, yes. I had no idea what her assets were. I was one of four children. So, as the financial person, I was elected to handle all of mom's finances. I was working a full-time job where I was working 80 to 100 hours a week. And so I just put in a change of address and started collecting her mail at my home. 
and was happy when I started opening some of her statements to go, we'll be okay for a little while. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just let it ride for, for a while. I was working. I still had one child at home. And about three years in, I started getting notifications from some of her banks and financial institutions that they were going to be turning over her investments to unclaimed property due to lack of activity. And I thought, what? Wow. <laughs> so I, a lot of things were happening in my life at the same time. My, my youngest child kind of needed some help to launch into adulthood and mom had had a, a health scare. And so I walked away from my very nice paying job so that I could get my arms around her financial situation, come up with a plan and spend some more time with her and help my son launch into adulthood. So I, it took me about six months to do those things. And then I was ready to reenter the workforce. And that's when I became a certified divorce financial analyst. But along the way in this journey with my mom, in addition to all the financial aspects, we also had to sell her home, which meant that we had to clean out 50 years worth of stuff from her, her home. We had to move her twice within the first couple of years because one of the facilities that she lived in didn't work out so well, so we right. moved her to a second one. She had numerous health problems over that span of time. I had to, uh, it was prior to Obamacare, so I had to change her health insurance from Louisiana to Texas. There were just so many different things. We had to make sure that her will was updated, that she had all of the proper powers of attorneys in place. And it was an overwhelming task to get all of that done. And I don't know how average people do that while they're still raising their families or working full-time jobs. It is all-encompassing. And one of the other issues that, that we had was, I guess, because of my accounting background, I was, I was hypersensitive to making sure that because I was handling all of the finances that I was keeping good records so that because one of the other issues of that generation is they're very secretive about their assets. The front end of the boomers, yeah. They, yeah. Don't, they don't want anyone <laughs> yeah. to know. So my mom like was pirates. adamant that yeah. she didn't very want, treasure. right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she didn't want my siblings to know what her financial situation was. I did finally convince her that at least one other sibling needed to be in the know in case something happened to me. Right. And so I, I kept him informed as well as my mother's estate attorney. But it, it was a monumental task. And I, I don't I have another friend who's doesn't have the same kind of background that I did. And she was the caregiver for both of her aging parents and handled everything, all of their health needs, everything, and their finances as well. And her brother sued her after her parents died, claiming that the estate was not what they anticipated, despite the fact that they didn't do anything to help for eight years, right? Yeah. So. Well, you know, and, and you've mentioned this or touched on a few points, but I have to also mention this is that it's more than a financial background. You were at the time were a CFO of a fairly sizable manufacturing company in the greater Atlanta area, right? Yeah. So you have some skills that are above and beyond 
you know, the rest of us who may have failed accounting once or twice. And, uh, <laughs> and, may or uh, may not. Yeah. Um, my dad was alive. He would have loved that. But all, all kidding aside, you had some, some skill sets there. And still, we've had conversations, you and I, about this that have been, I mean, just amazing what you had to go through and things you had to do just to get, you know, get to where you wanted to go. Exactly. And you don't think about it. You know, we, we make decisions over our lifetime that we, we sort of take for granted when you're having to all of a sudden step in and figure out what decisions someone else made along their lifetime mm. and, and how do you pick up those pieces and move forward. And part of it is finding the pieces to know how you need to move forward. My mom unfortunately passed away in November and as part of going through all of the executor duties, I checked unclaimed property for Louisiana, Texas, and, and Georgia and found things in all three states. So despite the fact that I felt like I was very diligent about taking care of her things, things still fell through the cracks. What was the impact on your immediate family when you were going through this? It was tough. It, it was very tough. My, my son had to get used to the fact that I was traveling quite a bit without him while he was in school or whatnot. Um, so he had to learn how to be a little bit more independent. My husband had to understand that, you know, I was going to be traveling and not be at home. And there was a Thanksgiving dinner where we, it was Wednesday night about six o'clock. And I got, I was expecting 12 people at our house on Thanksgiving and got the call that my mom had had a serious stroke. And I had to cancel Thanksgiving and hop on a plane and, and go to Texas. So, I mean, those kinds of things happen frequently, and you just have to be adaptable and, and just go. And those are both, and, and, and I appreciate your candor, it was emotional and financial impact just on the Thanksgiving thing alone, you know, last minute flights, the investment in a dinner for 12. Right. Right. You know, their investments in coming to your house and time and money and energy. And it's just, it's a real domino effect when, when these things pop up. Yeah, it is. absolutely. And in your case, especially it was working both ends, uh, the, both ends are uh, trailing and leading generations, right? Because yes. your son's over here, your, your uh, mom's over here and you are sandwiched. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, Michelle, yes. um, so I think that there's an appropriate time to maybe move left here and because there, there are some similarities into some of your experiences, but the, the, the real connection here is the moms. It is the moms, but, you yeah. know, to sort of circle back yeah, and, please. and working with a number of, I mean, the bulk of my clients were exactly where Wendy was in the sandwich generation, and I would have people approach me as an estate attorney. Most often it was the, the adult child in the middle, and they're concerned that their parents had some sort of diagnosis or they feel like something's on the horizon. And as we've already touched on, the elder generation really is not forthcoming with their financial situation. So the kids are kind of wondering, do they have enough resources to support their parent and then sustain their own family and their children? And so it was this whole very delicate walk that we had to do with generations sitting in the office together and the aging parent had a set of concerns and fears and then the children had a, an, another host of concerns and fears and, and often it wasn't just the one adult child it was all of the adult children and so we're having tap dance between 
their expectations and their interests, what they want for their parent, those family members that are jockeying to get control of the purse strings to some degree. So it was, it's a very complicated dance. And, and thankfully, you know, in Wendy's case, even as difficult as it was, having discussed it with Wendy, that at least her mom had the vehicles in place so Wendy could step in, you know, whether she became incapacitated, which happened, and then also at her passing. What is the, the awful disaster is when we have an event, a health event, and you know, there's no legal planning in place, no one can step in as a financial power of attorney, no guardianship appointments, anything like that, no living will, all of these things that thankfully Wendy had, but oftentimes are not in place. And so obviously first and foremost, I would encourage anyone who's in the, a similar situation as Wendy to prod their parents as best they can to take the steps because the burden will fall on the adult child to sort through the quagmire that will be, will be there. I completely agree. You even like that? I do. Even if you can only take little bits and right. pieces at a time, set up the dominoes so that when the day comes, you're ready. I was in the beauty parlor this week and heard a story. I haven't heard, of, haven't heard it referred to that. <laughs> I love wow. it. Madge, thanks. You're so welcome. <laughs> Is that Palm Olive? <laughs> <laughs> um, but a story just like you were describing. The mother had three children, adult children. One of the adult children was living with her, and I, I don't believe that she's employed. The other two are employed, don't live in the same state. The mom had a routine operation and died from complications of her surgery within hours after the surgery. It was completely unexpected, and they can't find the will. The sister that's living in the home is basically squatting and doesn't want to sell the home. and So lots of drama is ensuing because they don't have the the proper things in place. What tactics did you both find work? work in your favor in finding out some of these critical things that would benefit them in the long run? Well, just to touch on that, I mean, I always, number one, you honor the senior's position that they, number one, want to maintain control mm-hmm. and, and putting yourself in their position, you would understand why. And then trying to assure them that with proper guidance that you're going to make sure that they make the right choices on who is the appropriate person to serve as maybe their financial agent or healthcare agent. And they have these concerns and, and they don't want to relinquish control, but having a plan, you know, and it, it becomes very sort of day to day minutiae that you've got to take care of if someone's, say, in an assistant facility or, you know, somehow incapacitated, just to have a plan to reinsure, reassure them that there's going to be. The mortgage is going to get paid, your your health insurance, or you know all the daily bills, and this is this is the plan on how it's going to unfurl. Because I think there's just so much fear that they have, and reasonably so, but trying to help them get a hold on just very small pieces of the puzzle that they're going to experience really helps them a to have some relief, but then number two to relinquish some of the control and see that okay it's safe to let someone have control of my bank account or something like that. How, how fast did either of you bring in a third party, a trusted advisor to help? It was quite a while for me. Yeah. During the Katrina days, I was added to my mom's bank account to start paying her bills. So that was the, the first piece for me. 
getting the the mail forwarded to me was helpful because I could see what was out there and what I needed to be keeping a watch on. I also was able to ask the IRS for her records so that I could see what kind of 1099 information they were receiving on her social security number and things like that. That was helpful because a couple of things were not being sent to me. Mm -hmm. So, And then we did find a will. It was outdated that needed to be updated. And I think that was probably the first person that I reached out mm -hmm. to. My mom was also born in 1935. And so part of what she had done was set up all these accounts at every financial institution you can think of, and then some, right? Yep. And they didn't all have a lot in them, but there were many of them. So I consolidated some of those things as well. Mm -hmm. And that is a, a very cumbersome process. Right. Even with a financial power of attorney, you can't just walk into a financial institution and expect them to say, okay, will take care of that. They all want you to go through their process right. to be added as a power of attorney. So, yeah, I mean, the Easter egg hunt that I've seen families literally waiting by the mailbox for months to determine where are the assets? What are they? We have no idea. And, you know, even though the, the elders don't necessarily have to give the account numbers, what is helpful is if they can, if they're able to, just develop a list of, just of the names this of is the bank that yeah. has an account or this this has i have a life insurance policy here and so it doesn't have to divulge account balances account numbers or anything like that but then i will also piggyback on what wendy was saying about the financial power of attorney um, the financial institutions have become so leery and in fact georgia's just passed a, a new law that, to address it because so many of the financial institutions weren't honoring a valid power of attorney, but I would recommend if, if the elder or anyone who has a valid power of attorney, if they would walk it into their financial institution and say, I am handing you this, I am have formed this financial power of attorney and I'm appointing an agent, that will give a lot more credence than someone you know walking into the bank waving it around saying, oh, guess what, I've been named the agent. So yeah. having it already on record is a lot less scary for the bank and that it came from the account holder rather than That's some random idea. person mm -hmm. walking in saying, look, I've been named. You know, That's and I think idea. that that will, A, make the, the transition to the acting agent easier. And then B, it does preclude fraud, which is, you know, wrought with, with financial power of attorneys and why the banks are afraid to honor it. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I lived it too. But when uh, when my uh, dad passed away, you know, it was interesting. I, I learned that when I went into a particular institution, even though I thought maybe there was only one account there, I, I got smart and said, can we look at the possibility of more than one account there? And in some cases, you know, trailing the checking account that was there was a savings account, mm -hmm. you know? And we had a few grand in it, but, you know, uh, we ended up finding... 11 different checking and savings wow. accounts across uh, the Gulf Coast of Florida and a couple in upstate New York. I feel your pain. 11. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and once you, and what a shame, you know, we assembled them all and, you know, none of them were really making any money. They were like, might as well have been in the mayo jars buried right. under the Funkin' Wagnalls porch, right? right? <laughs> uh, so um, that was a whole nother con uh, conversation where the money wasn't working for them. 
However, once we put it together, it did provide for my mom an opportunity to start investing and building on that money. How, but, you know, wow, you have to be a little bit of an investigator, a little Columbo yeah. on you. Oh, indeed. Yeah, and to ask them those things. You know, hey, by the way, could you check to see if his name is in everything right. that's there? You know, credit cards that the bank may be carrying, and it's yes. another gem, right? Yes, you can run a credit report and learn a lot as yes. well. And again, the that's unclaimed property with the states that they either live in or have lived in is another good option. Mm -hmm. Because if they didn't cash checks or something like that, they're that's where they end up. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I like, uh, Michelle, what you said. I For us, the first step was just getting them to write down the institutions and the policy. It, you know, it was just literally was my mother's beautiful Palmer right. method cursive right. on a yellow right. legal pad with a with a bunch of institutions written on it and nothing else, not where they were right. or what the account numbers were, but it was a start. And then over time, we were able to say, hey, can we, let's look at the list again. How can we build that out a little bit more? But I love the extra step then of going into the institution saying, just want to let you know, I'm part of this mix right. too, so you won't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, if tragedy occurs or the natural course of life. Yeah, that was not possible in our case. My, my mom, again, because of Katrina, once she finally moved back into her home, it literally looked like she took every piece of paper with a dollar sign and, and literally threw it into a file cabinet. I couldn't, I couldn't make any sense of what oh she had. Wow. So yeah. it was, it was overwhelming. Yeah. And the Interesting thing on the powers of attorney, I was not in the same state with my mom. And so when I would initiate the conversation with the financial institutions and provide them with a copy of the, the power of attorney, they still wanted to speak with my mom sure. who had dementia. So it, it became either I would get her on the phone on a good day and we would do a three-way conversation. And they were helpful in that that they asked her direct questions she could answer them she couldn't give them a lot of information on her own so they were pretty good about doing that and there were other times that i had to fly out to be with my mom so that we could have those conversations together sure i mean well. and you know they are protecting her too she is their client right, right? i mean exactly. we've had instances in our family where people have walked other family members into banks Oh yeah, you know, and right. uh, luckily, nefariously, we had, right? right. We, we had we had very ethical bankers who oh. immediately rung up and said, um, "Is this supposed to be happening right now?" Yeah. So, and Michelle, you may know what the statistic is on the number of family members that steal money. Oh, sure. From, it's no, like eighty percent, it, right? It's far greater than you would ever wish that people would do to their it's their parents, really really sad it is so and again i think that my accounting background helped me right. because i i knew that i needed to do the right sure. thing right and make sure that it was all squeaky clean and transparent but well and not everyone does that right well and, and to touch on your beauty parlor experience <laughs> was you know oftentimes and and maybe rightly so but still not ethical or, or legal for that matter, the caregiver often feels like they're entitled to X, Y, or Z just because of the other efforts that they've expended. So those sort of complexities that I think are important to address up front through planning um, right. and getting some good guidance and advice on that is really, even though it's still, as you've attested to, it's super complicated, but to add the whole other layer of no planning, no no appointments for a right. power of attorney, 
no guardianship, no living will, no end of life care wishes, nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it makes it so much more complicated, and it's it's already wrought with right with complication. Yes, and those end of care decisions. I I'm a numbers person. I don't like medical things at all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I recognize now how very important it is to have all of those discussions with your with whoever is going to have to make those decisions if you're not able yeah. for them to understand what your wishes are. It goes so far beyond just the DNR, right? You right. Know, there are so many different kinds of health issues that can come up, and it's important to sit down and do all of those what-if scenarios and and understand what you want and what your loved ones want as well. For my husband and I, he wants completely different things than I do. I'm happy to to do, you know, to honor his wishes, but it is interesting that that we're completely opposite in that regard. Well, I saw that most often, and I saw the different generations always had sort of a, a different request Mm -hmm. for end-of-life care but I think unfortunately I've been involved with a number of families where the individual adult children had competing interests and and this may sound you know morbid but it's a real-life scenario where one is living with the parent and they're you know they're benefiting from the parent's monthly income which may not continue if they weren't alive so then we've got those folks who want to sustain their life as long as possible. Then we've got the other folks who are beneficiaries of life insurance policies and everything who have a different interest, and I use air quotes and you know, yeah. for obvious reasons, but why that's so important that we have the individual's wishes is that it doesn't matter what the family wants. It's that's what right. the individual wants, and then that has to be honored. You know, it's, I mean, to spin this up in a, in a little bit different direction back into the Gen X Yeah you know, how they feel and, and what they're experiencing, it boils down to stress, oh, you know, and the elimination of it. You know, some of the stats here, there was a Pew report that talked about that generally speaking, the Gen X crowd is maintaining roughly the same level of happiness. They're around 31, 32% of those surveyed, as opposed to all other groups at around 28. So they generally speaking have a little bit higher happy factor. However, they have a greater burden with the expectation of modern family relationships and what the family is supposed to do for them. And so that's where the stress factor comes in. So any of these extra components that we start to add into the mix, even if you're a skilled financial person, which both of you are, and are able to navigate the waters and you start adding the triangulation or what you call it, or the matrix of other family members and then who they may be connected to, Things can get pretty oh, stressful. Yeah. So yeah. How do you unwind that? No, it's it's a lot to unpack. I mean, when we were dealing with blended families, and so not only did we have the parents, but then we had lingering parents from them that they maybe had some relationship with a previous relationship, and then we have children from previous relationships, and I mean, it just would grow in exponentially in, in complexity, and so. These are all things that the Gen X folks are dealing with, and uh, the bulk of them, I don't know what the statistics are, but, I mean, it's I think it's north of 50% that they're in a blended family, or they've got step relations I think you're in right. some way. Yeah, so they're pretty close. You can imagine the complexities. It's a lot of moving parts. Uh, solutions time. So, you know, based on your, uh, our, our mutual experiences, you know, this is the chicken and egg question. Who do you speak to first? 
with the parents about what they want, or do you get together with your siblings and devise a plan? Well, personally, I or think... Or is there, is there an answer yeah. C? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Can, I, can I opt for C? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, personally, what, what happened in my scenario is, again, I'm one of four, and so three of us were on the same page. We, we knew that something had to be different. So we sort of were together as a united front and presented my mom with a lot of options. But one of the things that I learned... Again, because my mom had dementia, you can't argue with somebody that has dementia. Right. Um, <laughs> sure. it, it's, it, you're, you're not going to get anywhere. So I, I learned early how to, to kind of play that game, I guess. And one of the things that was helpful was when she would say something completely crazy. Like, as an example, she was not able to drive it anymore. And so when she would get very unhappy because she didn't have her car, I would say, well, let's talk to the doctor about it. And mm. the doctor says that you can drive again. We'll, right. we'll get you down to the DMV and get you a driver's license. We'll get you a car. And that would appease her for six months to a year. And nice then we'd have work. the conversation right. again, right? Nice. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's... I like, um, the, I like the use right. of the uh, third-party social proof. Right. That, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. it worked like a charm. But that, that helped us. And then I think finding a good estate planning attorney was was yeah. critical and I think that a good financial um, group is also definitively sure. needed to help you understand what your plan is going to be right, and right. how you're going to stretch those dollars. I, you know, I think from being on both sides, legal and financial, I think that we were able to, and the family were able to pick up on cues that something was misfiring and it's usually the financial house of the elder first. Like, they start missing bills or, mm-hmm. you know, so then you can, and whether it's their financial planner or wealth advisor, they too are able to pick up on cues that they, they've had a lengthy relationship with this individual. They can see that there's some sort of decline. And so knowing what to do with that, that decline is really imperative. And, and I think that the professionals that they interact with on some level, hopefully are attuned enough to be able to pick up on what's happening. And I have found that having an unbiased professional talk to the senior about, hey, you know, I think this may be going on. Are you having any of these experiences? Certainly is a softer landing and is far better received by the senior than if the adult child's like, hey, mom, you know, you're not acting right. You know, and so I think if, if they can have folks around them, hopefully they've had some sort of guidance and counsel, whether it's legal or financial, that they can pick up that there's maybe some diminished capacity in some way. You know, and, and, and I think back to some of my more, more recent interactions with my mom as a widow and even before when my, my dad was alive, when I had the opportunity to go visit them, we would talk about, let's go visit somebody, right? So I would go and visit with their attorney. And we talked about, you know, different opportunities like with does it make sense to do stuff like trusts right. and stuff like that? Because we were we were seeing, you know, the horizon was getting closer, and my parents were very were, were great about that. And so I go and it, so he knew who I was. Right. He knows who I am. I went, you know, I've gone to the bank with my mom to sit down with her personal banker, you know, the woman who takes care of her in the offices at the bank, and she knows who I am. And so I about once every 
three trips, I go in with her and say hi. And I've sat with her and talked about that. And so I love that idea. Go meet these people sure. that your parents mm-hmm. have been involved with, these professionals. Don't show up on their doorstep in the 11th hour and go, hey, mom or dad is going into intensive extended care. Here's all the paperwork. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Yes. or we have no paperwork. Or we have no paperwork. And then yes. what do we do? Well, at that point, you've got to petition the court. Yeah. And that's not what you, anyone wants to be in. And, and to just sort of piggyback on what you were saying about meeting their wealth advisor or their estate attorney, anything like that, if the senior is willing to at least share, not necessarily, again, we don't have to have account balances or anything like that, but to share the planning. Mm-hmm. So you can see and anticipate and ask questions about why did you pick this person as the executor? Or what oh, yeah. what, a, what do you think about this? Should we, like in my when my mom passed away, I just always assumed that she had good counsel and that my mom was a very successful business person and that she would make the most prudent decision, but it turned out she didn't. And, and I'm not quite sure why, because I can't ask her. And unfortunately, I'll never be able to have that conversation with her about why, why did you pick that person as trustee? Because that, that selection alone wrecked your whole entire plan. And so, you know, I do think, again, different people are open to different levels of sharing. But if there's any way to take a look at, because I can tell you from an individual who had a personal experience and then also from someone helping devise plans is that oftentimes the adult children, they have expectations and those expectations can come range from anywhere. They expect to be named the executor or to be have some sort of hand in the administration. And then when they're not, they're super upset about that and they think, oh, well, you know, my mom didn't love me or... They didn't trust me, or they like this or sibling. Or it shifts. It starts right. out with one right. sibling and ends up it, with right. another. Exactly. Yeah. And they don't tell the right. other sibling. Yeah. You know, so that's a big piece. And then the other expectation that you can't ever ask about it when your parents no longer here is you expected some sort of benefit. Because I can tell you, my clients, beneficiaries, have an idea of how things are going to play out with their estate. And when they don't, there's such thing as a premeditated expectation leads to resentment. I can tell you it doesn't just lead to resentment. It leads to lawsuits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so having what we call open planning is, is important. If our, And I always encourage my clients, no matter their generation, their age, let's all get in a room. And, as, and I would encourage the wealth advisors, financial planners, estate attorneys, if their clients are willing to get everyone in the room so they know how things are going to play out when the inevitable happens because it's the unmet expectations that creates a train wreck. No, that's great stuff. Even just going to these professionals that are involved in your parent or parents' lives and asking them what they think you should do so that they're enrolled in the process as opposed to thinking, all right, this is a daughter or son who's ushering in mom because they're going to try and fleece the account before things go sideways, right? But to right. truly go in with the expectation of, hey, we're not sure what to do here. What do you, What are some of the things that your institution requires we have ready in case of some sort of catastrophic right. change? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's complicated, it, though, because, it I mean, is. you know, when, it you is. know, and not get into minutia, but oftentimes when the client is the elder, you can't really divulge anything without their blessing. You have to honor whatever sort of agreement you've had with the client. Right. 
my mom was not a technological person. She, she did not know how to use a computer. So, but for many people, I recommend that they do like a virtual estate yeah. plan where at least they have all of the names of their financial institutions and maybe the last four of the account numbers. If they're doing it online, a username and a password, something that someone could access if they need to. And to Michelle's point a little while ago with copies of insurance policies and things like that and some kind of a binder that maybe maybe their family law attorney is holding for them if they don't want a child to do it yet or something. But some, some kind of way that they can tell them this is where all the information is that you're going to need to have. All right, so one last question before we wrap up this segment. What about introducing either a family therapist or a mediator into the mix? In hindsight, I think it would have been a good idea. I don't know if a therapist would have helped in our particular situation as much as a mediator may have been able to help all the siblings be on the same page. And perhaps some of it is is back to what Michelle was talking about, expectations. Understanding what that journey was gonna look like. My brother was very good at telling us that it was a marathon, not a sprint, right? That we needed to pace ourselves. But, but still to have someone explain to us what we could be looking at, how long it could be, and what was gonna to happen to my mother as she declined. And, what the increased expectations of us would be or, or needs from us would be and then to to make sure that we were all working together there there were some points that that didn't happen so well yeah so so you're a favorite you, you could see mediator working for you i could okay mm -hmm. how about you yeah i mean i think anyone that can sort of break the barriers to some degree but then also really get to the point in the heart of the matter and I, whether that's a therapist or mediator I think it would be beneficial but and it's usually just with families who have multiple adult children where it gets hairy yeah um, yeah there's a lot of truth to the there's usually one in every, every yeah, family universally mm -hmm. yeah, the resistant yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah and, and that makes sense and, and for those out there that are, that are not sure uh, mediators, a lot of them are skilled counselors in conflict resol conflict resolution, yeah. mm -hmm. and so whether you know some people hear family therapist, they hear the therapy word, they think, oh my god, that, that I'm crazy. Right. So that's that's inappropriate moniker there. Um, they also have a lot of conflict resolution skills. Sure. Uh, so there, either way you go, one tends to be more on the practical legal side, the other one's going to be more on the being side. However, either one, depending on how they fit, might be an extra component, and you can be proactive with it as opposed to, uh, you know, right. thinking, oh, I've got, this is happening now because I'm going to file a lawsuit, but to actually engage in these with these folks at the beginning in a proactive sort of planning stage might also be yeah. a way to save down the road. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So let's wrap it up there. Wendy, how do we find you? Well, you can find me on my website at www.mitchellhays.net, or you can call me on my cell phone at 404-729-0600 or at my office at 404-870-9060. Fabulous. And a new office too, right? Yes, I am in Colony Square. Michelle, how, yes. do we, how do we get to you? Well, you know how to find me very yeah, easily, yeah, yeah. Joe. <laughs> um, I, as a member of IRC Wealth, 
can be found at 678-733-4358 or at our lovely website at ircwealth.com. Yes, you can. And our uh, team pages have been updated to include Michelle's bio. You can learn more about her. So I encourage you to give her a call. And then ircwealth.com. We do really cool original content creation uh, every week in the form of blogs or podcasts like this one with trusted advisors, uh, subject matter experts like Wendy and Michelle and others. We're on iTunes. We also are on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again, everybody, and thanks for listening.